Little in this world unfolds as we predict. Indeed, how could the Indians have supposed that the death of this unsung priest would bring among them a man whose life was to become inextricably intertwined with their own? Tell them. They must leave the mission. They say it was the will of God that they came out of the jungle and built the mission. They don't understand why God has changed his mind. Never become a priest. But I am a priest and they need me. If you die with blood on your hands, you betray everything we've done. If might is right, and love has no place in the world. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Podcast Goes To, a weekly film podcast where each week we discuss Oscar nominated pictures. This week, the podcast goes to The Mission. A film from 1986. I'm Bob. I got my co-host Matt and another special guest. Welcome everybody, our new special guest, Zach. Thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, thank you, Bob. Thank you, Matt, for having me on. Very excited to be on the show. Uh, cannot wait to get into this very, very And that's movie. all he's allowed to say. Thank you for showing Bye, up. Bye, guys. <laughs> Zach, nice to have you on. You sound like you are running yourself through some sort of witness protection filter. Your voice sounds <laughs> ominous. Yeah, there's some people I don't want to find me, and I found... I thought the the safest place to not be found is on this podcast. So. <laughs> well, right you are. Terrific. So, um, Zach and I are former former hosts. I don't want you to be threatened, Bob, but we did at one point do a radio talk show together. It wasn't about movies, though, so I don't think that we're, just, we're forcing you out here, but... If, if you have to go, you have to go. We can take over. <laughs> I I've been I've been fearing this for a long time, Matt. I really <laughs> my place on the show. It just feels like any day now. <laughs> this is your reckoning. Yeah. So, Bob, how was the? Uh, you did a forty-eight hour film festival over the weekend. How was that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so this uh this recording's uh gonna come out a little after that, but yes, this past weekend I participated in the New York City forty-eight hour film project where you have to write, shoot, edit, and hand in a movie in two days. So <laughs> I did not get a lot of sleep. <laughs> and it was hard to watch a very long movie <laughs> on no sleep. But it went really well. We, uh, we made a pretty awesome movie. I'm really happy with it. We were the first ones to hand it in out of all of the 50 teams in New York. And this Friday, although by the time you listen to this, it won't. It will have already played. Last Friday. <laughs> Last Friday. We had our premiere screening. How did it go? In New York City. <laughs> I'm going to say it went really well, and people loved it. And hopefully they'll have us back for the best of screening, where they give out awards. What's the name of the movie? It's called Fantastic Man. Our genre <laughs> that we got assigned was superhero, and it's Ooh. about a superhero that gets trapped in a 90s sitcom. So, <laughs> I like that. oh my god, I love this concept. <laughs> what what sitcom would you say it borrows most from? Is it is there a particular yeah, it's, one? Yeah, there's a lot of you? there's a lot of Friends in there. Uh, there's a lot of yeah, oh. but it's 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 a collection. Be there for you. Yeah, thanks. I was talking about Friends with someone the other day that 
I I miss the boat on Friends. I still like it, and I've seen it. I've seen it a bunch, and I watched it a lot in the in when it was premiering, and I was like too young to really understand it. But I feel like I missed the boat on it to the point where when I watch Friends, I feel like I'm the outsider. Like those are the friends that never text me, and <laughs> like other people who watch it are also in their friend group, but I'm not. I don't know. I just oh, I I dislike Friends a lot. I I think it's very unfunny and super super white and just oh, yeah. like not interesting or good at all. Yeah, Seinfeld is the superior sitcom of that era. Yeah, and I think it. I think Friends ended the same night that um, Frasier had ended, and Kelsey Grammer is very bitter about it because Kelsey Grammer played that character for almost 20 years because he also played it on Cheers, oh. and nobody remembers the Frasier finale because Friends ended on the same night. I remember we were, I was in like middle school or something, and like everyone was crazy <laughs> about the Friends finale, and everyone's going nuts. And it's like, it's not a... It's not like Breaking Bad. It's not like a show with a beginning middle and end it just you can watch any episode out of order so a finale of a show like that just didn't didn't seem that important to me at the time yeah because those you weren't going to be able to to follow your friends anymore except you could follow joey into his new sitcom joey which lasted one season is he the worst out of that cast that could have been like spun into a spinoff like just by himself it would have been cool if joey went into his spinoff and was bitten by a radioactive spider and became Fantastic Man. <laughs> well, yeah, because he was the goofy one. And I feel like people, like the goofy one's the person you're supposed to get in small doses. And then what studios and are like, oh, everyone loves the goofy one. Let's make him the center of attention. And then it just ruins it. Yeah, the main character in like sitcoms like that are usually not the most interesting. Like, for example, Seinfeld. Like, Jerry Seinfeld's the most boring character in the show. He's essential to making the show good. And he is the the substance mm-hmm. that they allowed to create all the jokes with all the amazing side characters. That's what's that's what's good about Seinfeld. Everyone knows that Jason Alexander is the best of the Seinfeld characters. Yeah, Interesting. I, I'd agree with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more of a soup Nazi guy, but that's just me. So, <laughs> oh, we're going with every, just bro- opening it up to the everyone. whole universe, huh? For the rest of this episode, in the middle of anything you have to say about the movie, I'm just going to go, no soup for you. Oh, God, that sounds really annoying. <laughs> so, in other exciting recent news, as per usual, I was running a little late and coming to the recording of the podcast, but this time, I have very honorable, good reason why that was. I was about to be here on time, and then there's this little park in between where I park my car and walking to my building, and in this park, there's this pleasant young lady who is representing our local library in Hackensack, New Jersey. And I went there and she gave me a library card and told me about all the wonderful events at the library. And I lost track of time. Um, just trying I'm not to gonna date- lie. This, this started off as, oh, he did something nice. And then by the end, I was like, it sounds like you were just late again for no good reason. All right, I was trying to hit on the librarian, all right? Is that what you want to hear from me? I was hitting on this librarian girl, and now I'm going to go to all these stupid library events to try and win her over, but whatever. (laughs) Okay, yes, that's now I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, this week we are... Have you heard about how large her house is? What? (laughs) The librarian's house. It's it's got a lot of stories. 
<laughs> oh my god who invited this guy who is this guy by the way i have no idea who this this kid is i'm just i'm just going with the flow matt matt Bob holds all the match. money <laughs> matt matt has all the money and resources of this podcast and i just do what he says he dictates that's everything. true i have yet to don't i have yet to give you the, the cut of all the donations we've gotten yeah I'm incredibly broke, Matt, by the way. So anyway, <laughs> anything, before I jump into the movie, I selfishly took most of the time and talking about myself. Anything new going on with you guys? What's going on? I know you've been traveling, Matt, right? Where have you been these days? Oh, yeah. As as this podcast premieres, I'm, I am out of the country. I'm in Iceland. Um, I'll just assume what's happening. Oh, it's so cold. Oh, no, volcano. I'm suffocating under all the ashes. But it's cool. There's a puffin. So that's. <laughs> um, but yeah. So yeah, I've been traveling a lot. It's been exhausting. And as a result, I have yet to see Jurassic World 2 Fallen Kingdom. Very upset about this. I'm sure you are. I heard there's also a volcano in that one. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, I have heard that as well. And dinosaurs. There's dinosaurs in it? Oh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm more interested in what Zach's got going on. Zach is our special guest today. Oh, well, uh, exciting news. Uh, friend of the show, Pat McAteer, I and uh, another friend, Chris Costa, just uh, closed on an apartment. Uh, we are approved to finally get a place together. That's very exciting Congratulations. for us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I watched uh, Pacific Rim Uprising for the first time today, and that was pretty cool. Oh, all right. So you yeah. need to like wash the mission taste out of your mouth. So you, you chose uprising. Yeah, yeah, that was a good palate cleanser well, for sure. Speaking <laughs> of mission taste, while I was watching this film, I coincidentally was I made my own quesadillas, and I was using none other than mission tortillas. <laughs> Fun fact. What was their mission to be delicious? I don't know. It's the brand name, and it. I just realized it now when you said watch the taste out of the mouth. Anyway, the mission. You were like, at, at the end of mission, you were like, that's a wrap on mission. I should go get a mission wrap. I really, I really don't like this guy, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to get worse. Yeah, we, we, went, we need that, uh, that Bill O'Reilly, like, mute button. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying that for months. So, yeah, so this week we're talking about The Mission, 1986 British period drama film uh, with an, a pretty packed cast of Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, and even Liam Neeson in one of his earlier roles um, won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival and um, is based on a true story of Jesuit priests who... Um, mission is to convert Guarani communities to Christianity. Um, and I gotta be honest, the, uh, to try and summarize this movie, it, it wasn't, didn't, wasn't very cohesive. Did you get the feeling that there were three or four movies in this movie? Not really. No, I, I kind of got the story. There were some things that got lost in translation a little but Overall, it didn't matter that much to me because I was I was following along the the vibes. Okay. Going. Well, yeah. I I I've struggled to follow along with it. It felt like there was just several different parts and no real like cohesive driving plot throughout the movie. So, like, it, it, I felt lost in parts. So it seems like they kind of used that 
guy who's writing those letters to kind of explain what was going on. But I felt like that only made things worse. I didn't under <laughs> I didn't really understand what he was saying and the politics part of this movie I didn't understand at all. And I really I really more enjoyed just the parts where you were just experiencing it and not some dude just telling you what was happening and explaining it wrong to me. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Those parts kinda kinda screwed it up for me. And I don't know if you guys watched all the way through the credits at the end, the dude just looks at the camera and says no. nothing. Yeah, there's a after, credit scene. Yeah, there's an end credit scene, like a, like, you know, like the Avengers, and yeah, I just, it, I just thought this was a really well made film, so I was interested in watching all the credits and how many people worked on this and stuff like that, and who the best boy is. Yeah, and who all his best boys are, and all those uh, Matt DeGennaro production accountants are, and. Or as we call him, MDG, MDG. And no one calls me that. I call you that, and everyone knows. I'm gonna who... start calling you that. <laughs> it's just it's hard to say your name because then I have to think about you, and I just stop talking. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> I like now. I like this guy. He's laughing at your your pain. But yeah, at the at the end of the film, and we we haven't even really described what it's about yet. But at the end of the film, that dude he just like stares at the camera, and then it ends. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what that was about. Which dude? The 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 guy that was in charge. The the cardinal. Was, yeah, like the cardinal dude. Oh, that's weird. So Ray McNally. Did he have the powdered wing on? Ooh, good question. Bald or powdered? No, he, he wasn't powdered. Just like all the other scenes where he kind of tells the story by writing the letters to the the Spanish or Portuguese government, I guess. Mm, okay. All right. So, yeah, so the, the, the central story is that this Cardinal Altamirano is tasked with um, determining whether or not these missions um, have to be abandoned because essentially what happens is uh, there's this pact called the um, the Treaty of Madrid in 1750, which is when the movie takes place, that essentially Spain has given land to Portugal. But all, all this happens without our central characters realizing that. Like, there's a court decision, and the, the lead character, uh, Jeremy Irons, Father Gabriel, like, points on a map, and he's like, this is Portuguese territory, and everyone's like, ha, no, it's not. That was sold to Spain last week. And nobody told him. Yeah, yeah. So like, so so we're 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 following along with Jeremy Irons' father Gabriel character and Robert De Niro's character Rodrigo, and they're they're just completely unaware of what's going on. Which is, I guess, why we have the Cardinal who's narrating a different part of the story that we're not even seeing, so that we're being kept up. Um, so how do you guys come to those conclusions? Like, did you get that from the story or from like reading about it? I mean, during the court scene, he he they basically they basically talk it all out that yeah it was pretty that was pretty clear there. Oh, okay because yeah you guys just summed up what i was really confused about perfectly now i kind of understand what was going on <laughs> the parts that i didn't understand maybe you can clear up what was confusing for us yeah by yeah so yeah so the, so the <laughs> cardinal's job was basically to visit all these missions and determine whether the church was going to protect them or whether he was going to determine, hey, look, you you guys, you got to go. Like, all these people need to leave. This land doesn't belong to us anymore. And so that was his purpose of the film. But what we're really doing is we're following these two characters, Robert De Niro's Rodrigo and Jeremy Irons' Gabriel, as they 
experience life in this Paraguayan tribe, tribal community. And so that's why it was jarring for the me. The Paraguay way. Para, the, the Paraguay way. So that's why it was like jarring to me that that was half of the movie. And then there was this other half, which was them trying to convince the Cardinal not to give up the land. And then there was a third or fourth act, which was the Cardinal decides to give up the land. And then they opt to stay and fight for the territory, um, which is a historical event called the Guarani War of 1754 to 56. But um, we witnessed a single battle. A recreation of one of those battles, but um, which we can get to later. But um, so, so I guess let's just start from the beginning here. So, Robert De Niro's character of Rodrigo Mendoza, um, so, sort of an interesting character. Uh, we meet him as he shoots someone in the back and hunts hunts uh, natives. What, what do we think of uh, his introduction? Well, this is after Jeremy Irons scaled a waterfall at the start of the movie. Well. Start of the movie, we see a uh, former mission priest get thrown into the river uh, on a cross. Oh, yeah. And then Jeremy Ian goes back into this village. He's like, I'm going to take on that job. <laughs> Scales that waterfall. Uh, and then as he's, after his, like, clarinet solo, introduces himself to the locals. And then uh, Robert De Niro comes in and starts shooting everyone up. And then all of a sudden we're like back in the city. Like that was one of those sudden cuts, like from the jungle into the city. That kind of was confusing. Yeah. Me. So I mean, here you establish the two very different characters at the beginning. You got the the Jesuit priest, which I guess his whole his mission, which is <laughs> for lack of a better word. Wow, I oh, really got got that one. Ah. Basically, <laughs> he knows that the Portuguese and the Spanish are just kind of taking over all this land. And I guess what he's trying to do is quickly turn all these natives into Christians. So they won't kill them all. It's like, Oh, these are Christians. Now they're not just savages. So don't, don't kill them and take their land. So, and then you get kind of the opposite of that with Robert De Niro's character where he's, he's doing the opposite. He's killing these people. He's trying to take the land. So. Well, he's he's a mercenary hired by the hired by slave owners to capture them so that they can he, they can be sold into slavery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then we travel back into the town that uh, De Niro's character is in, and <laughs> he's a complete asshole. <laughs> like you hated him in the beginning. Like you witness Jeremy Irons go through so much to you know try and establish a good relationship with these people he's very very peaceful he's climbing waterfalls which looked amazing and all this stuff and De Niro's like shooting people then he yeah, goes back so, yeah crazy. so what the fuck was up with Jeremy Irons playing the flute can we can we can we talk about the flute solo or the clarinet it was you know there's a language barrier he doesn't know their language yet and music as Stevie Wonder says is you know, a language we can all understand <laughs> in uh, Sir Duke. So, yeah, I think he just he's just showing away like, hey, I'm peaceful. Yeah, I mean, no harm. You know, that's what the, the music, I think, symbolized in that scene. He was just he was just showing off. <laughs> yeah, he was just showing off. <laughs> yeah, like, Look at my flute. My thought was bitch. like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? 
Because obviously these people don't want them there because they just they just hung someone on a cross and threw them off a waterfall. So I was like, you're really going to go into their jungle and play the play the flute? He was like, he was the guy with an acoustic guitar at a party. We all hate that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then we get to the city. So we meet Jeremy Irons. He's playing the clarinet. We get to the city. Now we're on to the Rodrigo character. And what follows is like the most out of place 10 minutes I think I've ever seen in a movie where Rodrigo is in love with a woman who admits that she is having an affair with Rodrigo's brother. And he proceeds to walk in on them having sex and then sword fight the brother (laughs) in a duel to the death. I was like, what is this movie? After she she was like, please don't hurt him. And he's like, okay. And then, yeah, just immediately proceed. That was such a weird part. Yeah, he was <sighs> he was such an ass. And it was it was kind of weird. It looked like when he walked in on them, it was nighttime. And then it's the middle of the day when he has the duel. So I guess he just, yep. it was dark, but he walked in <laughs> and it was like the morning. And they're, they're banging in the morning or something like that. I'm not really sure, but it, I well, feel like from like what I hear. Well, there was like a festival going on. Yeah, from what I hear, like, of those, like, time periods, it's you, everyone walks around with a sword so you can challenge each other for shit like that. It's like the Wild West, you know, (laughs) challenge you to a duel. So he's, he, like, fights his brother, kills him, like, stabs him. And then. But he kind of hesitates before he kills him, too. Like, he gets him, they have a little bit of a sword fight, and then he gets the sword at his throat and hesitates. And, like, he says something to him. And then draws a dagger and, like, goes for, like, the finishing move. And that's just leaves him on the ground. Uh, the girlfriend walks up, sees him, sees the puddle of blood and just starts screaming. And then we just cut forward to him in the, the basement of the, uh, it, like, the religious place. I, it was all these weird time jumps that happened. It was, like, three weeks he was down there, but it wasn't clearly shown that it was three weeks. Well, this weeks, one, this one, I, several times this one I got because his, like, beard was longer and he was, like, all sweaty and gross and he didn't have that wonderful, elegant ponytail anymore. He looked like he'd been there, you know, uh, the time period, you can't really guess those things, but it's just like, oh, he is not what he was when I last saw him. He's clearly been through something. So, I really, I really liked the change of this character so it gets really intense because jeremy irons character they bring him in and they're like save this lost soul and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna change you man and he takes him up the waterfall and up into the like deep (laughs) heights of the the jungle to live with this this tribe that jeremy irons (laughs) is trying to to scale the waterfall with a big sack of heavy armor and he keeps falling down, and and they're like, no, just leave it. And he's he refuses it. Jeremy Irons is like, no, he has to do this. He wants to do this, and he just keeps going up that thing with the the big old sack of yeah. Metal so I, armor. I thought the scene was super powerful. It was just like he's just you know he hate he you can see in the jail cell he hates himself for what he's done, and and Jeremy Irons is like the only one that seems to believe in him, I guess, and he's just taking his punishment you know he's like i deserve this punishment you know everyone's suffering just climbing these mountains and these waterfalls and everything and he's suffering more because he has this giant sack of 
metal shit <laughs> that he's dragging around. Even, like, Liam Neeson's character feels bad for him, and he, like, cuts the rope so he doesn't have to carry it. And what does Robert De Niro do? Walk back down and pick it up and, like, keep carrying it and just give Liam Neeson's character a dirty look. And it's funny to me <laughs> seeing Liam Neeson as such, like, a... He's, like, a priest, and he's, like, a pushover, and he's kind of scared of everyone, but, you know, he is in the, the company of, like, Jeremy he's Irons. He's the pushover. De Niro. <laughs> yeah, like but... So, here's a hot take, is I think that Liam Neeson would have been better suited for Robert De Niro's role in this movie. Uh-oh. Really? Did you not like De Niro's performance? So, I hated Robert really? De Niro's performance in this movie. For one, something seemed off with his audio, and anytime he spoke, it seemed like it was really low compared to everything else. I kept having to turn up the volume when he was speaking. Much and, like listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't understand what he was going for with his character. Like, he still sounded like Robert De Niro from every other Robert De Niro movie. Like, there is nothing transformative. I, I don't know what his accent was supposed to be, where he's supposed to be from. He can only play characters that are from New York, it seems like. Yeah, he sounded like he was from New York City, like modern-day New York you City. You talking to me? You talking to me? <laughs> well, yeah, then, when he said that line, I was very confused. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he didn't say that in the movie. So this, this is uh, really interesting because the two of you seem to not like this movie very much. I, on the other hand, loved this movie. I thought it was a beautiful work of art a masterpiece i'm really into it but we will get into all of that later first wow let's pick our movie decade for next week's episode gonna leave us with a cliffhanger here or, or a waterfall hanger uh next week the podcast goes to the 1950s <laughs> what the hell not again <laughs> so although you know back. what we had we had a we had a nice break from the 50s so i'm i'm looking forward to going back my comfort yeah, zone we're batting like 500 in the 50s because roman holiday was pretty good and then the, the king and i was pretty bad so we'll go ahead and take a quick break and we'll come right back with more of the mission here on the podcast goes to back here on the podcast goes to talking about robert de niro and jeremy irons the mission here with bob and our special guest zach and hi hi and right before the break bob dropped a bombshell on us that he actually liked a this bombshell movie. a bombshell but before we get to that let's do a quick round of what are you watching so zach you said you watched uh, pacific rim uprising what were your thoughts on the movie. Yeah, they call that a big league tease. Um, set that up earlier in the show to have it pay off now. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, definitely a major departure from the tone of the first one. The the uh, first one is very much like end of the world, dark, apocalyptic scenario. This one takes place during the day in the most part. Um, at times, uh, visually looks more like the Michael Bay Transformers, but not necessarily in a bad way. Um and they have more of a youth movement in terms of like the guys that control the the giant robots, the uh, the Jaegers. 
uh, with John Boyega at the forefront um, and a few like lesser known actors and actresses, including uh, Clint Eastwood's son, who plays the most standard by the numbers uh, cookie cutter uh, straight jaw line character that you can imagine. I love Scott um, Eastwood. I haven't seen this film, but like he is just a wonderfully charming presence on screen. <laughs> he was so bland in this. Like Chris Pratt in Jurassic <laughs> World, he was just super bland and vanilla in this. And it's nothing wrong with that. You need a character like that in a Pacific Rim type of movie. It, it was just what he had. Um, pretty good twist with as far as like the villains. Um, something I definitely didn't see coming and kind of like gives a particular actor a chance to shine so interesting so yeah. scott eastwood is also the fate uh, he was in um fast and furious 8 and i think that they cast him to sort of replace paul walker's character and he's just paul oh. walker without any of the charisma he's just like white <laughs> that's just the only trait that carries I, over i never found paul walker to have any charisma so that must be really bland yeah. that on screen <laughs> it's just a void of it and oh man i watched that paul walker film i think it was his last film uh before he tragically walker hard what was it no it was uh (laughs) i i sort of get the joke uh (laughs) uh brick mansions oh what a piece of shit (laughs) oh man anything anything else uh any tv shows you're watching zach or matt uh working my way through the new season of arrested development uh it hasn't found the same sort of like appeal that the first like three seasons and even a little bit of the fourth season has found yet so i'm kind of struggling with that but that's about where i'm at with it haven't had much time for uh for binging tv tv so there's so much going on these days it's always everyone's always watching some sort of show did you ever cage just came (laughs) out and now like i haven't even i didn't even realize that it had come out and i still haven't watched jessica jones i haven't watched most of Punisher, so I'm I'm way behind on that. Yeah, I caught episode ten of Luke Cage without seeing the rest of it. I walked in, my roommate was watching it, and <laughs> I kind of enjoyed what I was watching. So maybe I'll maybe I'll go back and revisit the rest of the show. That's why I get into shows. Yeah, it is supposed it's supposed to be the best uh, season two of a Marvel Netflix show, from what I've heard. Yeah, I guess the season twos are kind of mm. been lacking. I'm just at a point where I. I ask someone like what they're watching and they say, Oh, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And it's just like mostly notes because there are dozens of shows that I would, I really want to watch, but there's just not enough time in the day to watch them. I wanted to see that AMC show. Oh, the terror. Never even heard of that. Neither of you have heard of it. And so like somebody, somebody should start a a podcast about like TV show referrals. As, as he, as he strokes his very long blonde beard. (laughs) That's another big league tease. Interesting. Um, so what was it? The 1987 Academy Awards. The 59th Academy Awards held on March 30th, 1987 in the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and hosted by none other than Chevy Chase. We talked about him a little bit last week with Chevy Chase's, uh, Christmas Vacation so did anyone have a chance to watch his opening monologue i did as a matter of fact uh, it's actually interesting they originally wanted uh robin williams for the part uh but he was too busy shooting good morning vietnam so in comes chevy chase and delivers a few jokes uh and it just seemed like the audience was a little bit out of sync with his punchlines 
like it would take like two or three seconds to, for them to start laughing like he had some good jokes but everyone's kind of seemed to not realize where they were supposed to be laughing it was interesting to see like kurt russell and, and goldie hahn like in their prime and they rea- some of the reaction shots uh they both looked really great that kurt russell hair at that time was amazing. hey kurt russell's still looking good oh yeah big even, kurt russell guy even when he's surfing on top of spaceships in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 <laughs> in the middle of space. That's a guy! <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, there was also uh, Helena Bonham Carter and um, Matthew Broderick, I think, were a couple at this time. What? Uh, they presented an award together. Uh, a very, very young-looking uh HBC. So how old uh, is she? Because I thought she was like they, in her forties, but now I'm starting to think she's older than that. She looked like she could have been as young as sixteen, also could have been twenty one. I could not tell. Okay, we cannot confirm nor no. deny. No. She was in Woody Allen's Mighty Aphrodite, so who can say for sure what her age was <laughs> in Mighty Aphrodite, but I'm sure she was underaged if she was cast in one of his movies. Oh <laughs> I see what you did there, Matt. So, um, so what, what was this nominated for? This is nominated for what seven? Seven. No. So yeah, this was this was a uh, this garnered a lot of Academy Award nominations. It was one of the top nominated movies of that year. Uh, the the movies with the most nominations this year were Platoon, uh, which won Best Picture, right? And A Room with a View, which both had an eight award nominations. Uh, Aliens and Hannah and her sisters were tied with the mission for seven award nominations. Go Aliens. This was actually an Academy Awards that kind of introduced a lot of modern things that we're used to now. Uh, One such thing was uh, cutting down award acceptance speech times. They started giving warnings at 45 seconds, then another warning at 50 seconds, and then like they'd either cut to commercial or another segment at a minute. They were very concerned with like declining ratings. And- yeah, so it's, uh, 37 million people watched this year's uh, awards. And I'm curious, I'll have to look and see how many people have watched uh, the 2018 Academy Award. So, yeah, so it was watched by how many did I just say? Several, 37 million. And um, compared to the year before, uh, 38 million and then 42 million in 1984 53 million in 1983 so we're seeing a sharp decline in viewership uh, fast forward to today and the uh, the viewers average 32.9 million okay so let's go through the nominations so we have art direction cinematography which it ended up winning i think it was his only win then we have costume design we have directing, and we have editing. Yeah, so this guy, Roland Joffe, who I had never heard of, admittedly. So I can, there's not much else that he has directed in his life that I would consider to be noteworthy. Uh, his most recent film, The Forgiven, was this Forrest Whitaker, Eric Bana movie that I had never heard of, and that was just came out last year. Uh, yeah, I never heard of that he, either. He had a couple movies of note. One was uncredited, but it was the disaster. <laughs> the s- Super Mario Bros. <laughs> oh, no. That, uh, oh, I just pretend yeah, that movie no. did not exist. 
with their like oh, yeah. weird he was, uh, like he was connected to that brother like marriage relationship where Yoshi was their kid. Oh God! <laughs> with, with the tagline, "This ain't but no game." Things somehow got worse for that in 2007 when he was nominated for a Razzie for the movie uh, Captivity. I've never heard of this movie Captivity. Uh, it was a, 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 like a Saw knockoff, pretty much like torture porn sort of film. Oh, was... I never saw it, but uh, I did a little reading up on it. And well, it does have cool. Alicia Cuthbert, who is my heartthrob from 24. Oh, yeah. Kim Bauer. Oh, when she ever got caught in that bear trap. Oh, I'll save you. Like, look out. There's a cougar. It's right there. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> That's me in a cougar disguise. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But so... Roland Joffe had uh, one best picture before this right that's true he did win for um fat man and little boy right Mm, before that no oh it must have been the killing fields oh that must be (laughs) yes it was so i'm behind all these nominations and i think cinematography definitely deserves a win yeah so so I want to talk a little bit about why you loved the movie and why I did not love the movie and Zach didn't seem to particularly enjoy the movie either but it was not the it was not the production value because clearly this was something done on a massive scale with beautiful cinematography I mean the they, the they, location where they shot too was amazing yeah I mean that certainly helps to, to shoot in like this beautiful majestic jungle Colombian jungle yeah, yeah. but I mean even as far as like the intimate moments they captured really well, like close-ups of, of people's faces and the, the emotions that they were able to capture just from the lighting um, and the, the wide shots of, you know, things happening in the foreground with the massive waterfalls in the background to just kind of juxtapose the power of, um, you know, the environment with this, you know, the conflicts of the, the, the human, tr- you know, groups that are going at each other. thought that was really well done. I had... I had nothing bad to say about Chris Menges, Menges, Mangies, the English <laughs> cinematographer who sh- shot this shot this movie. So um, in the future, Matt, you should just pick one, and that way you only get his name wrong once instead of at least four times. <laughs> <laughs> you need to try every single style because one of them is going to be right. <laughs> How do I feel that you still didn't get it? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Menges. Why would I attempt something like that? <laughs> I just don't understand why these people have to have names like this. Uh, he also, so he is this guy, Joffy's <laughs> cinematographer. He he shot The Killing Fields as well, and he was nominated uh, for and won for The Killing Fields in 1985. And most recently, he shared a nomination with our good friend Roger Deakins in 2008 for The Reader. Uh, which was another beautifully shot film, but probably more credit to Roger Deakins in that in that situation, knowing very what we do about his body of work. And I I was very happy with a, a directing nomination as well because the like the scale of this thing and what they had to do in order to make this successful, I thought was incredible. I watched a, a short documentary on this, and they went into the jungle. They he scouted the director scouted multiple like tribes to cast all the natives in this film and they finally found the tribe that made the most sense for them they made financial deals with them they had 
Um, they made sure they brought representatives in for the tribes to make sure they weren't treated unfairly. And there were a lot of like negotiations that went on. Basically, they're trying not to be Fitzgeraldo. So, <laughs> I, so I for those like of you don't know, documentary about the making of this movie would have been more interesting than the movie itself. But go ahead, what were you going to say? <laughs> yeah. So basically, they're trying not to be Fitzgeraldo, where uh, Werner Herzog film that took place somewhere in South America, and they kind of abused the natives to make the film. Uh, a lot of them died. They had to. They used them for manual labor. They, you know, they cast them in the film. They. They hired like native prostitutes to keep everyone sane while they're filming oh. in the middle of the jungle. There was a lot of like, so they were like the Spanish and Portuguese of this movie, basically. Basically, so it seemed like everyone making this film, the mission, their mission was to. I did it again. <laughs> to make sure that they didn't go about it in a Fitzcarraldo way, especially when the whole message of this film is like, hey, people abuse these people, and it still goes on today, and <laughs> them abusing natives and then making a film about it is kind of ironic <laughs> an alternative so. uh title for this movie could have been white guilt <laughs> i so i guess so I, so i have a bone to pick with the treatment of of uh creatures in this movie they do that it looked like they really hunted down that pig kind of have an issue with the pig hunting scene Ooh. like yeah was, that, that yeah, looked like it absolutely rights. happened there was also that scene um, where they're starting to round the Portuguese are starting to round up all the people and there's all those babies like they lay them down next to each other in the mud and in the rain and I was like these babies are gonna drown like what the hell are you doing yeah and so there's also like some full frontal small child nudity which I'm used to seeing yeah. on the on Discovery Channel when you go into these you know native environments but to see it in a narrative film was a little bit jarring and a p a pg movie too this was it, was, it was wow well, that's interesting that's a, yeah yeah i mean i guess they're going for authenticity there and there are a lot of authentic moments for me maybe not for you guys but i just you know they use these real tribe members and i just like i really felt you know where they were coming from and i really liked how genuine it all seemed to me and those little moments were the the outsiders are interacting with these tribe members like when robert de niro's character he spends all this time at the tribe and they finally accept him as one of them he's he's a changed man from the murderer he was now he's this monk but he's also part of the tribe and the girl is painting the tribal stripes on his chest and she's just kind of smiling and giggling while it happened like little moments like this really really got to me and Normally, I'm not about these slow journey movies where not a lot's going on, but I was just so wrapped into the story and following the characters and watching De Niro's character. I thought he was incredible in this, by the way. I Just watching him go from this murderous, awful human and believing his change, which I, I guess you guys didn't believe. But uh, for me, I it was a character I haven't ever seen him play. And it was it was just... It, it was really amazing for me to watch. So it's not that I didn't believe his change. It's that I didn't believe him as that character. Yeah. I, it, there, maybe that's the reason we've never seen him play this role is because it was this one. And then everything else was like, well, you're going to play what you can play. Yeah. So I kind of took it the other way as like, wow, I didn't know he could pull off a role like this. 
that's how, that's why it, it wasn't as much as like i tried to forget as much as i could the De Niro i'm used to and it was it was kind of easy because he's like thin and jacked and like young and he has this long luscious hair <laughs> so yeah but i i i, 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 it's I so loved his performance so my I problem really with did. the so my problem with the Rodrigo plot is twofold. It's number one that I anytime Robert De Niro opened his mouth, it didn't sound like he was in the role. It sounded like he was delivering lines as Robert De Niro. And so when he wasn't speaking, I, I was able a little bit more to get into what was going on with him. But the other problem I had with that was that his story arc ends in the first 40 minutes of the movie at which point I'm like, oh, we must be entering into like whatever this third act is going to be. And there was still an hour and a half left to the movie. I think they could have and I was built like, more oh. upon him having to revert back to like his his like savage uh, self in the in the last act. Like he escaped this life of killing to go be peaceful with these people in the jungle. And now outsiders are coming in and he has to like revert back to that like. That, that previous self. I wish that we had seen a little bit more of a conflict. Yeah, yeah. Like continue and there were on subtle moments. His, yeah, like the... Yeah, like continue on with his journey. Like, where, like you you convinced me to invest mm. myself in this character and what, what his journey is going to be. So then don't just pull me away from that and stick me with the Cardinal now and then not let me continue on his path to then come around and use his violent tendencies to protect these people. Like, we never really... Like, we're not gifted that payoff at the end, in my opinion. Well, there's no payoff at the end. It's a really sad, depressing ending, but... Everyone dies. Uh, yeah. With the Back to De Niro's character, the, the subtle moments, though, you know, you see him change. That, that mountain climb in the beginning with all the stuff was just so powerful to me. And then the natives immediately just throw all the shit he carried all the way up this mountain into the water and he just breaks down and cries it's symbolic of all the baggage he's he's carried and now it's just getting tossed away like i guess so yeah so that was that was very interesting to me and then moments like they chase down this pig which i think they actually did chase down this pig like you said matt which uh, i have a problem with yeah yeah there, there there was no like no animals were harmed in making this film at the end of this credits because i actually watched the credits unlike you guys but <laughs> but <laughs> He, they were like, oh, here, stab the pig for us. And he's like, no. He, you know, he, he's trying to go away from that guy that he was. And I really respect that. And then at the end, he has to go back because he cares about this tribe so much. And he believes in them so much that he's, you know, all of a sudden now he has to kill people again. So it, it was really powerful. And he kills that first person when they sneak and steal all like the goods from the soldiers that are about to attack them and just his face when they cut to the, the close up of his face I, I i thought it was was really really it's, special it yeah. seemed like they he was kind of like wrangling them to be like no 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 don't worry about looting this guy like we have to go off and in onto the next section oh there was that too i was i was referring to when they snuck in the middle of the night um and that dude woke up and oh, he stabs him that was the first person he kills since he became like the monk so yep. super powerful but you know yeah. what's even more powerful matt selecting a year yes <laughs> next week the podcast goes to 1954 awesome all right let's go ahead take our final break come back and wrap up talking about the mission that is a lie 
I cannot and will not accept a challenge from a monk. His cloth protects him. My but cloth name, protects you, in Senor the name Cabeza. of the king, whose dignity I represent, I demand an apology. I want an apology now. Damn you, I won't stand for this. Welcome back to The Podcast Goes To. This week we are discussing the mission. Uh, now we'd like to get into the final act. Uh, they kind of left me out to out to float in the middle of a river like I was on some cross with this reintroduction. <laughs> so let's dive right back into it. Well done. Well done, Zach. So we we have at the at the end of this film, there's that part where everyone seemed to not like and me not really understand where <laughs> that bishop dude or whatever and his wife nope thinking of the wrong movie when, <laughs> when they ultimately decide to invade <laughs> yeah when they ultimately decide to invade the tribe which how important is this piece of land it seems so Why hard didn't to they run away it seems oh. so hard to get to <laughs> <laughs> they're like why does anyone care about it just let the natives live up there why didn't we just see the army <laughs> having to reverse up this waterfall first of all they get up there no problem and they drag cannons up there they there's so many questions so many questions and like i also don't understand why they need cannons i mean these people have just they have <laughs> bows and arrows why do they if need you cannons? have cannons you're gonna use the cannons that's true but also i feel like so this is like my deeper rooted issue is like i couldn't root for any character because i don't think that it's i didn't never thought it was right that people were converting natives in the first place so i was like this this whole thing just feels wrong and then there is the cardinal does say a line that um these people probably wish that none of us had ever come like the christians or the jesuit priests or the or the um like the government at all so yeah well at least you're like acknowledging that part so it's it's an interesting point and and me as a a person who always seems to be on the side of battling religion i'm (laughs) not a fan at all of missionaries or missions and stuff like that however here under all like the circumstances i kind of get where they're coming from it's more of like these people are going to come in and kill and enslave all these people. My only chance of saving them is to make them appear Christian and maybe they'll, they'll have mercy against them. But after that fails, he's literally just leads them to the death. And he's like, the power of God is going to save us. Let's just say, stay in this burning down church. And when that fails, just start walking to where they're shooting at us and hope that he, God protects At which us. point he did not. <laughs> no, he gets shot. Ron Howard voice. He didn't. <laughs> and it was it was interesting too because you have the this is where the characters split. Jeremy Irons' character sticks to his I'm not intervening, no violence, love, love, love. I'm just gonna sit here and sing Bible songs holding a cross and hope that they're gonna not kill us. Where De Niro's character, Liam Neeson's character, the other ones they decide to stand up and fight and both at ultimately end up and fail, which is very sad, but also kind of powerful. It's like, oh, maybe there wasn't a way out of this. Robert De Niro saving one last life on the way out too. like he see he's about to take out a bunch of uh, the enemy soldiers, sees this kid get shot, fall off a bridge, picks that kid up and then just is right in front of the firing line yeah yes. i was just like fucking pull the trigger dude fuck that kid 
That's exactly so, what I thought too, and I felt horrible, but like, yeah, yeah, it's you could have saved so many more lives if you pull that trigger. Yeah, like, god damn it. And then they it's, mock him too. They hold up the string, and they're just like, ha 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 ha, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I thought like I thought for sure that there was gonna be some sort of heroic moment where he runs and is able to like pull the trigger himself. Because he stays alive for a surprisingly long time. Like, his eyes are... He's aware for everything that's going around him. You're like, oh, he's going to get back up. Doesn't get back up. No, it just just takes a really long time to die. I was like... I was screaming. I was like, yo, pour me or that shit, bro. (laughs) I was like, I knew it always ended up bad for the native tribes in every scenario like this. I was like, in the back of my head. You know it's bad when, like, I'm thinking to myself, how cool would it be if Predator showed up right now? (laughs) <laughs> like that's the that's how this movie kind of got i was like the tone of this is how often do you think that in a movie i think that a lot actually <laughs> like how cool would it be if they made a movie where it was like 80 percent of the movie was the mission and then in the last 20 percent predator just shows up and it's like what <laughs> what predator is here now this is insane it's like a, a cabin in the woods level twist it's like hush hush Nobody tell anyone about this beforehand going to the movie. You're going to have no idea about what happens, but it's crazy in the end. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. Like, Much that's like this... The Cabinet in the Ooh, Woods as well. I still need kind to see of. that. <laughs> Were you the one that asked to see it and I just never responded? Something yeah. Like was that you? Oh, man. That was me. Uh, maybe we'll do a... Maybe I'll send you the link right now and you can Ooh. react to it live on our podcast and everyone can guess what the movie is. You're going to re- watch my reaction. <laughs> everyone else can guess what the movie's about while Zach just <laughs> reacts to it for whatever, 18, 18 minutes straight. Now yeah. that's the podcast So we right never there. get The Predator, but we do get something almost as good, which is Liam Neeson. Does it, is it me or does it seem like Liam Neeson carries his skills over from one movie to the next movie? Like his all of a particular sudden, set of skills... As soon as he showed up in this movie, you knew there was going to be some action in it. It took about an hour and a half to get there. But in the end, he does shoot someone in what can only be described as a chase scene with kayaks. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he's then almost immediately slown when he's sitting in the middle of a three-person kayak. And the trailing kayak behind him is the one shooting at him. And he gets hit square in the back. I don't understand. How also, that works. normally, people with those muskets, you get like your one shot and takes forever to like load it up. And they're like on boats and stuff like that. Like normally, don't you in miss? the rapids? Yeah, Ugh. yeah. So the fact that they got him on almost all those gunfire, like they they got him on their first try. Liam Neeson also had a gun at one point. He shoots a musket, shoots a guy, and then just like ah eh, fuck this, and then picks up a bow and arrow and starts shooting people with arrows. <laughs> and then what, he do you have is, one bullet. He's, slaunch, he's slaunched over in the middle of the kayak after he's dead, and just like I, I kept waiting for him to pop back up and be like he'll be okay. And then the like the pursuing ca- uh, canoe is just like are we gonna get that priest? And it's like he's clearly dead. He's not moving, and they're still pursuing him. And then the chase ends with them both going. <laughs> yeah, over it was the like a suicide mission. That was almost insane. Yeah, so Liam Neeson's yeah. dead. He also fends off a canoe or a kayak with a with like a cannon on the front, and he just oh. fends it off with, yes. with another. The, you have a cannon. Why are you getting within paddling distance of this this other boat? <laughs> just shoot him from far away. <laughs> They get as close as they can, and he just literally swats them away. Yeah, I, I wanted to see him smack the cannon guy off the boat with the oar. <laughs> I thought that would have been badass. That would have been dope. 
I just I found it interesting with these fights at the end where they're, you know, they have the element of surprise. They know the lay of the lands. And as we know in our, you know, American history, like, it's very hard to defeat a guerrilla army. So this, this like, invading army, were Portuguese or Spanish? I, I really don't remember. But the, anyway, one of those from the Iberian Peninsula <laughs> comes, comes, you know, the, they're coming and they're, like, hoisting everything over the mountain and stuff like that. And it's like, you couldn't have attacked them then, like when they're climbing a mountain on ropes, just cut the rope, you know, like there are a lot of ways. Somebody didn't pay attention at the battle of Endor. Yeah. Or in the I, princess. I kind of started to feel like we were watching return <laughs> of the Jedi. It was like, there was all these booby traps. Oh, I'm glad yeah, you there said booby that. traps and they're yep. making bridges that are going to blow up and things are going to swing. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt like they could have used their advantage of height. <laughs> I have the high ground. <laughs> I they're used... much better at climbing trees. Yeah, like, oh, you're trying to climb this waterfall with a bunch of gear and cannons? Let me just fucking throw rocks at you while you do it. I feel like they would have won the war. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. kind of disappointing, even though you know that in all these scenarios or colonizing areas, and the natives always don't end up having wonderful futures. But <laughs> what a weird way to say that. <laughs> but they did have, I mean, what they had was they had the Jesuit priests who should have been knowledgeable enough to know, like, okay, we're not going to beat them. Like one on one. Former mercenary. Well, that's what yeah. the leading up scenes were with De Niro. Like he he was making wooden cannons with them, and he rigged the bridge, <laughs> and he did all these things. So clearly they had a good plan. But I just I wasn't as impressed. Like I was like, oh, there's so many ways they can defeat this large bulky army trying to climb up a mountain. So yeah, I was a little. I was you know I was very disappointed at the end because you know I liked all the characters and they pretty much all died well, but <laughs> i guess you have one one real military trained character in that whole yeah the other priests i think were always priests where de niro's character you know he's been to war a bunch of times most although likely. liam neeson was the one who helped create the explosive device because he makes a motion to one of the people at one point like yeah this is gonna blow up and he's like super happy about it he had a he had a phase as a teenager <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, that's why it was interesting because like he was just like this very calm, reserved priest, and then all of a sudden just bow and arrows and guns, <laughs> and like knocking people off of canoes. I've been waiting my whole life to do yeah, this. Yeah, there was also particular like a set of skills. Fourth, yeah, there was also a fourth priest who like just like is running at one point and just like just gets blown up and dies. I'm like, where did that guy come from? Yeah, I was like, I really wanted to like be sad about him dying, but I was like, wait, when was he in the movie? <laughs> where did where did he come from? So, speaking of Liam Neeson, we have a fun little game here for our guest host. Matt, you want to bring it in? Yeah, so we have a game for you. I know you're a big fan of Liam Neeson. So, we're going to go ahead and give you some plots of Liam Neeson movies. and You have to guess which movie it is. So... We'll uh, we'll have uh, we'll start you off something easy. In the 17th century, two Jesuit priests <laughs> travel in an attempt to locate their mentor and propagate Catholicism. I want to say episode one, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to go with the mission. Final answer. Ooh, sorry, that's incorrect. It's actually 2016 Silence. Oh no. <laughs> So, oh for one. <laughs> well played. Well that was played. that was brilliant, Matt. Wow. <laughs> Ex-government operative Brian Mills is accused of a ruthless murder he never committed. Okay. Uh, taken. 
three. Good job. It is. It's taken three. Yeah. Mm. Very well done. The taken egg. The, taking, the one that was really, really bad. <laughs> Perseus braves the treacherous underworlds to rescue his father, Zeus. Uh, Clash of the Titans. Ooh, unfortunately, it was Wrath of the Titans. Wrath of the Titans. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I was, right in the, I was in the right franchise. <laughs> you were in the right franchise. An insurance salesman is caught up in a criminal conspiracy during his daily commute. The commuter? <laughs> it All is right. the commuter. Good job. All right. I, I got a tough one for you. For you. Valjean, a former criminal, has atoned for his past and now finds himself in the midst of of the French Revolution, avoiding a law-obsessed policeman wow. hell-bent on capturing him. I'm drawing a blank on this one. Les Miserables. Oh. The non-musical one from 1998, which I watched in my French class in middle school. Wow. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Liam Neeson and Les Mis, if you can picture that. <laughs> Let's swap the game. Let's play a little round of um, guess the plot of the movie. And we'll start with this one from 1981 where Liam Neeson plays young Catholic. It's called, oh man, this one does not have a plot summary. Well, it was called Nailed, so you can imagine what it was about. <laughs> I heard he did really well in that role. Some people say he nailed let's, it. Uh, let's do this one. From 1985, Liam Neeson plays the character of Michael Lamb in the movie called Lamb. Uh, he's on the run. Lamb focuses on the relationship between Brother Michael, a teacher in a Roman Catholic-run institution for troubled boys in Ireland, and his 10-year-old Owen Kane, played by Hugh O'Connor. Never heard of him. <laughs> oh. So he seems to do... A he must be like super into like the Catholic thing. Yeah, born and raised in Ireland, he I would assume that was uh, pretty influential on him. Mm. All right, let's do a couple more here before we wrap things up. This one is called Afterlife. Okay, uh, Liam Neeson is a ghost, but he has some finished business, so he has to help his son in tracking down. Someone who framed him for a crime. Ooh, that sounds like a really good movie. That is not going to be called mm -hmm. Afterlife. I would like to see that movie. Who would play the son? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Who's who would the villain be? Jonah Hill. Oh, <laughs> well, this. Let me just tell you, the plot of Afterlife is actually after a car accident, a young woman played by Christina Ritchie is caught between life and death until she meets a funeral director played by Liam Neeson who appears to have the gift of transitioning the dead. I've heard of this movie. It is a drama horror mystery, although I, I would much rather see the the one you described. So there's like the like the CW on like Saturday afternoons will play movies around like one or two o'clock. And if you go in the guide and cert, like go by this channel, it'll literally just say movie. So sometimes as a game, I watch this movie until I can figure out what it is. And that was one I watched for probably 25 minutes. And I had no idea because I never knew like Liam Neeson and Christina Ricci like interacted <laughs> in any sort of form. Yeah, I didn't know. I, like I'm always shocked when I see Christina Ricci in a movie because I, 
for some reason, I just imagined that she had one movie and then her career went to shit, but she's actually been in a ton of movies. Oh, she has a huge cult following, too. Oh, People man. love her. All right, oh, one, yeah. one more. We're going back to the old formula. This one's a, this one's <laughs> a movie starring Clint Eastwood. It's a Dirty Harry movie with Liam Neeson in it from 1988. I, I don't know the Dirty Harry movies. This one's called The Deadpool. Ah, yeah. Okay. One of my one of my favorites, by the way. I really I really like this one. Liam Neeson's the bad guy. Ooh, uh, I like basically, that. see now there is like this Deadpool going on. Celebrities where they bet on who's gonna die, and there's a lot of money behind it, and people are getting murdered for <laughs> to collect on the Deadpool. Basically, um, so very interesting movie. That is an awesome movie idea. Yeah, and uh, spoiler alert, Clint Eastwood at the end shoots a harpoon through Liam Neeson on a boat. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. Kind of oh, bummed you so ruined that for me. But... It's, still, it's still worth watching the movie, I, though. I, I, I want to Car- see it more now Jim- because of that. Like, that sounds so cool. Yeah, and Jim Carrey plays like Axl Rose and sings Welcome what? to the oh, Jungle. so <laughs> I know what I'm doing after this podcast. Yeah. One, <laughs> we might wonderful. have to do a special episode where we talk about the Deadpool. I wonder if it was nominated for anything. I mean, Dirty Harry movies are, are wonderful. We have five movies that were nominated for something. The 1954 category Wait, of Best Wait, don't Picture. do that yet. I wanted to read Roger Ebert's review of the mission. <laughs> I actually, I mean, it's it's pretty long, but it it's like exactly your guy's review and not mine <laughs> so clearly you're right <laughs> well who do you trust roger ebert or bobbert bob <laughs> barbecue kleinbert I'll, I'll read the first paragraph <laughs> the mission feels exactly like one of those movies where you'd rather see the documentary about how the movie was made you'd like <laughs> that sounds like a familiar yeah comment. we've said that a bunch of times you'd like to know why so many talented people went to such incredible lengths to make a difficult and beautiful movie without any of them on the basis of the available evidence having slightest notion of the of what the movie was about there isn't a moment in the mission that is not watchable but the moments don't add up to a coherent narrative at the end we can sort of piece things together but the movie has never really made us care Wow, I that's and then he goes exactly what I've been trying to say for on now. and on and on about that. So <laughs> Ebert is somehow better at putting it into words than us. I, I'm astounded. That's why yeah, that was... he has his own website with all his reviews on it, and it's very easy to access. <laughs> Fun fact, totally off topic: the last movie he ever reviewed was the Terrence Malick movie to the wonder with ben affleck and he loved it and everybody hates that movie but him so i'm glad that it's his lasting legacy (laughs) that he was like fuck you i like this movie i don't care what you guys think one of my favorite reviews of him is uh when he reviewed like the pokemon movie (laughs) what (laughs) and he like apparently someone like lent him like a game boy and he like played the game for a little while too in research it's it's a classic Wow! When we when we get when we finally get the Pokemon movie for our Academy Award nominated podcast, we'll we'll go <laughs> we'll go through it. You should do that on like an April Fool's Day. <laughs> That's a good idea. Too bad April won't be coming around for quite a while. <laughs> it's April somewhere. So before we wrap up, I know I keep I do I do this every week where Matt's trying to end it, and I was like, no, no, more for you to edit, more for you to edit. <laughs> I edit for a living, Matt. So you know what I I. 
I don't even care about you. Um, but <laughs> and your editing. That's a fair <laughs> <dumb> excuse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We re- we didn't even like touch on Jeremy Irons at all, um, and I think that's he's kind of like the star of the film, and I found his performance incredible. Do you guys have anything to say about Jeremy Irons before we wrap this up? He completely overpowers Robert De Niro in every single scene. He he's just fantastic. Yes. I I just and a character again that isn't really like other Jeremy Irons characters that I that I know him well from. So I I was really impressed with this performance and no no acting awards for this film at all at the Academy Awards, which is interesting, but he seemed like the most deserving out of out of the crew of an award. Uh this none of the supporting actors really uh, shined as much as he did, but it seemed like he completely bought into that role. Yeah, the only thing that was distracting was that he looked like Daniel Faraday from Lost. Whoa, yes. Good call. <laughs> so I was a little distracted by that. I expected some sort of time travel subplot, but that never came either. I was expecting this movie. They just kept leaping forward like I, three months. Yeah, yeah. I kept thinking that De Niro is Christian Bell in this movie for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you were way confused. Yeah, like my sexuality, but we'll talk about that at another moment. Oh man, that's concerning. Well, yeah, I, I I agree. His his character was his character was the main character and delivered the best performance. Um, the only scene where I was really into Robert De Niro was when that bald guy who reminded me of the um, bumbling idiot from the Mummy who got eaten by the beetles. Um, <laughs> I was so horrified by that scene when I saw it as a kid. <laughs> was when uh, the guy was like. Uh, yeah, you have that robe to protect you. And then Robert De Niro's like, this robe is going to protect you. And I was like, yeah. But also that sounded like you from The Godfather, but also like I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to take you seriously when I literally can't see anything on your Skype feed. But Just a little bit of a reflection in the lens. Yeah, I see like some floating glasses. (laughs) 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 And just complete darkness. But... (laughs) That's funny. We also didn't touch on that scene at all, and now I'm just dragging this podcast to the to the bitter end. But <laughs> where that guy just storms off, and he's like, "You have to apologize for telling me I'm a liar, even though I am." <laughs> just throws yeah. his powdered wig on the floor and runs away. At- oh yes, yeah. Oh, the, the during the trial scene <laughs> that made no sense. Tosses the wig toss. When I saw the wig toss, my jaw dropped because I was like, "Do you people? Did people do that? Yeah. Did people throw their wigs in anger?" <laughs> back in the day it was just so funny to me the guy de niro just stands up he's like you're a liar that's not true at all and the guy's like i demand an apology and then just like storms off and it's like wow what a fucking baby (laughs) and they hold a separate meeting a whole separate council in a different room it was outside the first time and they were inside (laughs) the second time just so he could apologize to him and everyone was there to watch and it was like wow and then he apologizes to like the little native boy (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that was a little ridiculous but anyway there was another scene where there was like um where jeremy irons is lecturing robert de niro and he's like god's word is love and then that leads into the military montage and like the intense music i was like oh man shit shit really got real after he said that <laughs> <laughs> anyway all right 
Batman, since you're sitting in the darkness here, why don't you pick our uh, <laughs> pick our movie for next week, and maybe I can see what it is in the reflection of your glasses, which is the only thing I can see on the screen. So the nominees for next week's movie are Three Coins in the Fountain, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, <laughs> Was this that Christmas song? Three French hens and a partridge. <laughs> what, is, what is this? Three coins, seven brides. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> the Country Girl. The can- I wonder if The Country Girl stars that girl who's in all those other movies. <laughs> From the country? Oh, no. It's Grace Kelly and Bing Oh, Crosby. I just immediately assumed it was the girl who plays Dolores in Westworld <laughs> sitting on a horse oh. in the middle of the country. <laughs> <laughs> The Kane Mutiny, and the winner of that year, On the Waterfront. Oh, that one I've heard of. The rest I haven't. (laughs) Well, next week the podcast goes to... Three Coins in the Fountain. Ooh. Romantic comedy film starring Clifton Webb, Dorothy McGuire. Ooh. Ooh, Dorothy McGuire looking good. Ooh. And it takes place in Italy. So we're back in the 50s and we're back in Rome. (laughs) Tune in then to see what happens on next week's episode of the podcast. Oh, and thanks for coming on, Zach. You know, I just. No, it was awesome. It was awesome having you. It's nice being able to talk about movies with someone whose opinion I respect. So. (laughs) For a change of pace. It's nice to have someone who has a coherent opinion for once. Yep. I can't argue with that, Matt. He he not only had a coherent opinion, but also had better jokes than me. Just like a, an all-around better version of me with a wonderful beard. Yeah. <laughs> better version of both yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. This is, da- this is dangerous. Next week. And I can actually see his face, too. So. Well, next week it'll be just Zach talking about <laughs> three coins in a fountain. I already forgot what it was called. Oh, that is what it's called. That's Yeah, three coins in a fountain. Well, the next episode of the podcast goes to... A man of war. A man of peace. A land of timeless beauty. An age of conquest. The laws of heaven. Killing Fields comes this year's winner of the Best Picture Award at the Cannes Film Festival. The Mission.